Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. There is no doubt in my mind that it is our fault that the Phillies lose on Tuesday, May 21st to the Chicago Cubs, Bob. And I say this because we we skipped a week, which is rare for us. We skipped a week here on Crossed Up for a variety of reasons. Um, but we skipped a week, and during the week we skipped, the Phillies played some really good baseball. They had a sweep of the Rockies. They pull out a, a great extra inning win, character win in Wrigley in the first game of the series. And then we're like, all right, let's get let's get back on the horse. Let's get crossed up going again. We'll do it after the game on Tuesday the 21st. And then they blow a game in the ninth inning. <laughs> There's bullpen problems out the wazoo. And it's it's just it's typical crossed up, man. It's it was either going to be this game was going fifteen innings or they were gonna lose in something that we're gonna to have to be negative and miserable about, right? I mean that's where we're at in this in this uh in this show. Yeah, a guy uh a guy says to me, his name's Steve Appleman, always recording a day later than you should. LOL, you guys always seem to record after a loss. I said, you, you noticed that too, huh? <laughs> it's very on brand for us, the heartbreaking loss. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was, this was obviously a pretty rough game. And if I'm being completely honest with you, I almost texted you tonight and said, I can't do it. Because if, if you've listened to the show, you know that uh, this does not sound like my normal voice. I am very sick. Uh, but uh, we, we threw out the tweet this morning that we were going to be back, and all these people were liking the tweet, and people were like, yeah, I missed you guys. I was, I was afraid something happened. We just we couldn't get on the same page last week. and uh, Well, I blame Russ for the beginning of the week last week. Yeah, that was Russ. It was, Russ's, we had to get it was the, completely had to get Russ's fault. The soccer stuff yeah. had to get out before baseball, yeah. so we couldn't record last Monday. Blah, was, blah, blah, blah. It blah. was very important. I think the union are red hot right now. <laughs> But but after that, you and I couldn't get on, uh, and it was because you were at the game. You were at the game last Tuesday against yeah. Milwaukee. I was at the game last Wednesday against Milwaukee. So trying to record by the time we get home, you're talking after midnight. I mean, no, we can't do that. And then it just kind of bled into the weekend, and it was like, well, gee, what the heck are we going to do now? Like, we're going to do one and then do one like real quick. I mean, that kind of doesn't make any sense. So. We just held off until tonight. Um, And good timing it was. So the Phillies, uh, (laughs) it it looked like they were about to have really, if if not last, if if last night's game wasn't their best win of the season, then this probably would have been uh, trailing by by a run for much of the game. They get a clutch uh, two-run single from Andrew McCutcheon, take a 2-1 lead. Bullpen locks it down, even though they were down their top four guys on the night. Jose Alvarez and Edgar Garcia combined to bridge the gap from a good start from Zach Eflin. And then it all hits the fan in the ninth inning. And I think that there's a lot to kind of uh, digest here in the wake of of what transpired in the ninth inning. So I guess there's a few things. I I think that we can both agree that Juan Nicasio is is not really the guy that you want out there in the ninth inning going through the heart of the Cubs order, despite the fact that Gabe Kapler expressed confidence in him after the game. I don't know what else he's really supposed to say there, but... uh, Certainly not an ideal situation for Gabe Kapler 
in that spot facing those particular hitters going to Juan Nicasio. I agree. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and blame Juan Nicasio. He's not been great this year. He's just been a guy. But Better lately. It, yeah, better lately. But I'll say this. At least he's willing, Bob, to take the ball on multiple nights in a row. At least he's willing to say, yeah, you need me to go back out there to close the game? All right, I'll do it. You know, that's that's the thing that bothers me it, just in general with bullpens that guys can't – that the relief pitchers can't, can't go two or three days in a row. Some guys can't go two. Some guys can't go a third. Look, I get it, right? You don't want to blow out arms or something. But it's important to win a game, man. It's important to win the game. You need guys who's got you, – you want to go out there and win. You can't just sit there and say, yeah, well, we'll chalk up a loss and you know get these guys some rest. Yeah, that doesn't work. doesn't work for me. I don't know about you. It certainly does not work for me as a strategy. <laughs> so yeah, these right. guys so, – and, and Ricky Bo says it too. I, I, I don't want to just – I don't want to make it sound like I'm just like this old guy complaining. And I know you're going to – I know you're going to kind of agree with me for a second. But um, uh, Ricky Bo says the same thing afterwards. He, he called them babies. He called the bullpen guys babies on the postgame show because they can't, oh, I warmed up yesterday, so I can't throw tomorrow. That's baloney. That's crap. So anyway, go ahead. All right, so let's digest this thing and kind of roll through it. Glenn Macnow, who you're very good friends with, and I had an opportunity to meet uh, at a game uh, about a week and a half ago. He tweets out tonight, and I think that this sort of echoes your sentiments. If I understand the writers and broadcasters correctly, Pat Neshack is unavailable tonight because he warmed up last night when he said he wasn't ready to pitch. So Nicasio, who has no biz closing, opens ninth. Why the bleep is Pat the softy on this roster? He throws 12 pitches a week. So let's rewind this thing back to last night, happier times when the Phillies actually won the game late. Uh, there was a little bit of a mess. Gabe Kapler got up Pat Neshek late. Um, he, you know, needed a little bit more time to warm up. He had told him that he was ready to face Daniel Dis- uh, Descalso. Uh, at that point, Kapler elected to stay with Sir Anthony Dominguez. It did not end well. But Pat Neshek had some things to say about that today uh, before the game. And he says, it looked really bad on TV. And people were like, Neshek isn't ready. If critics are going to characterize me as I'm not coming into the game, then know that was my first pitch. No one saw when the phone call to initially get up was made. Gabe got me up on a 1-0 pitch on Jason Hayward. That's when I got the call. I got the call on the mound and threw two pitches, and then he called down. That's what they showed on TV. He said, is he ready? And I said, no, I'm not ready yet. I've thrown two pitches. So he kind of said about last night, like, I would have been ready, but I, I could not have physically gotten myself up that quickly. It was... It was too late, and he kind of—I don't want to say he threw Gabe under the bus in that situation, but he basically said he you did not ask. But you can't, and I—I will—I will defend Pat Neshek a little bit because do I think that he is um, sometimes fairly criticized for being a little bit soft, if that's the word? Yeah, I, I think he can be a little bit fickle, a little bit picky, um, maybe a little bit soft, but. I, I do think he's kind of right in that sense. Like you can't ask to bring a guy in after he's thrown two warm-up pitches and expect him to to compete. It just isn't realistic. So in this particular isolated incident last night, I have to say I, I don't necessarily blame Pat Neshek for what he said. Now I, you, I agree with you. Go ahead. So now you fast forward to tonight, right? 
and he's unavailable. So Gabe Kapler had said that he was a little bit sore before last night's game. I believe he closed Sunday night uh, or Sunday afternoon's win against the Rockies. He warmed up yesterday, and then they made a hard decision to say, nope, we're not going to you tonight. I don't know if this is so much on Pat Neshek as it is Gabe Kapler. Either way, it doesn't look good, and probably both parties deserve a little bit of the blame. Yes, and here's the thing, and I don't oh, – it just drives me crazy. Since May 4th, since May – so we're talking two weeks now, Bob. Here's how many total pitches Pat Neshek has thrown in games. 34. He's thrown 34 pitches in games in two weeks, and you mean to tell me – that he can't be ready, he can't be available tonight because he warmed up last night? Come the F on. Yeah, but that doesn't <laughs> include warm-up tosses, long tosses. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about that because pitchers have been warming up for for decades. I don't. He's thrown 34 pitches in two weeks. Man up and get the hell on the pitcher's mound. That's it. 34 pitches in two weeks. I, and I agree with you about yesterday. Gabe probably didn't give him enough time to get ready. He can't get loose in two warm-up pitches. And I'm okay with that. I get that. But to sit there and say, oh, well, because I warmed up yesterday and I closed on Sunday, I'm now not available on on uh, Tuesday night. Uh-uh. And, and we talked a little bit about it before uh, we started recording tonight. If Gabe Kapler wants to say we're going to be super strict and we want to be really cautious with our guys because we're talking about an isolated game and we need to you know, win in the long term and we don't want to put anybody at risk, that's, that's fine. But I, I'll give uh, you know, our, our partner Phil Kaidel, uh, actually, I agree with this. He was talking uh, in our Slack chat, and he had said, you know, the thing that I have a problem with is that he uses multiple relievers. It's a three, four, five reliever game to bridge the gap from maybe the seventh inning onward. And if you're going to overuse the pen in terms of how many guys you bring into the game, you can't then say, well, we need to be super cautious about how we use guys moving forward. Like those two, those two strategies really don't align with one another. No, you're right, and and Phil is correct there, and and so that's that's the this is why I think Gabe shares the blame in this instance um, for this being what it is because as the manager and maybe Chris Young a little bit too as the pitching coach, I think they both kind of do. I mean, the pitching coach is more responsible for the pitcher, so maybe it really falls on Chris Young, but Gabe's going to be the guy that, you know, um that everybody blames because he's the manager, but maybe so they both share it. But um you cannot let your team get into a situation where your top 4 relievers are not available. I get it that guys have to rest here and there, whatever. That's fine. So what you do is you don't use all four on Sunday or Monday and say and, – and, and like I think Gabe's, Gabe's answer that he gave in the post-game press conference after the game was a little hypocritical. He says, well, we're going to aggressively try and get wins. And we, you know, and that's why, like, I, you know, if I have a chance to get a win and I need to use all four of those guys, well, that's what I'm going to do. Well, guess what? You had a chance to get another win tonight. And you didn't use any of them, so yeah, and, and <laughs> so that's a little hypocritical, right? You can say it's one of one sixty-two, but I think that you and I both know not all games are created equally. Correct, right? Like you have to understand that in this situation too. You're talking about the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley, a team that's been red hot. You win a big game in dramatic fashion the night before, and you have a chance to guarantee yourself a series split 
to me, this was a spot where you might say, listen, we need to roll the dice and we need to push the envelope a little bit in this game to hammer down a, a, a game that that seemed to just have a little bit more juice to it. That could have been a really big win, moving to 10 games over 500. I, I think that that was a game that could have maybe really got things rolling. They come into tonight winning four in a row. They they're you know they were nine games over 500. They're playing pretty good baseball. That Milwaukee series last week aside, they've been a good team here, and there there's a lot to like about what the Phillies have done. But this was a game where you could have really said, "Damn." Like, that's a huge win, and this, to me, wasn't the game not to go all in on. Yeah, and I agree with you 100% on that, Bob, and it's more, what I will point to is I will point to the win on Monday night, uh, the come-from-behind win and extra and uh, an extra-inning home run walk-off by Real Muto. You know, I mean, guys get excited for walk-off wins, guys get excited for games, right? I mean, all the time, it, it happens, but to see how that dugout reacted for that game uh, Monday night in Chicago, it's a little bit different, right? It's not. It was not like just come out and have some fun and meet the guy at home plate and whatever else. They were reacting like it was a game in September or October on that on that in that dugout, and I think that they realize just how important this week is because these seven road games in Chicago and in Milwaukee, this is their measuring stick to this point, and they recognize it. So if the players are recognizing the importance of these seven games and how it fits into where they are as a team, then you, the manager and the co- pitching coach also need to recognize that. And they can't sit here and say, oh, well, you know, it's better for us in the long term if we did it this way. And, yeah, we might lose a game or two here or there. You can't risk that. Yeah, I'll, I'll go so far as to say this. I think uh, you know that I – I believe in Gabe Kapler. I think he's doing a pretty good job uh, this season. I think that he's corrected uh, some of the things that he really needed to improve upon going into year two. But I do think, and and maybe fairly so, that a few players in that locker room right now are, are saying, what the hell are we doing? You know, like, what what just happened there? Like, how did we get to this point? And I think it further exacerbates the decision and really the, I think, the, the ill-informed decision to use Sir Anthony Dominguez for two innings last night as well. He was really good in that first inning that he came out, and it was part mm-hmm. of the reason that Gabe decided to double down and go back to him. But we know, and there's a large enough sample here, that we understand Sir Anthony Dominguez is not nearly as effective in the second inning. And sometimes these things get overblown a little bit. And, you know, the context of that that type of appearance can change. Sometimes it might be a 20-pitch first inning where they really are short on a guy, so they double down on him. But he was crisp in that first inning. There's no doubt about it. But we just know that he hasn't performed well when he's run back out there. And so if they don't do that last night, they may have saved themselves a lot of aggravation in not only the, the, the Monday night game, but they probably would have been able to run him back out there in that save situation in the ninth tonight. Now, and I'm not going to tell you that it would have won them the game tonight, but I do think it would have given them a better chance than Juan Nicasio going through the middle of the Cubs order at Wrigley Field in a high-pressure game. That is swimming beyond Juan Nicasio's depth. He, he's not well, built for that. Yes, and I'll tell you what, it, I'll tell you what would have probably happened. And we've we've discussed this in the past. Um, this was one of my great criticisms of Gabe as a manager last year, and I agree with you. I think he's been better this year, and I think he's been better this year because he's he's not been a micromanager. 
right? Um, he's he's actually managed a little bit on feel, even made a couple mistakes. But I'd rather you make a couple mistakes on feel than than a couple mistakes on you know being ultra conservative or following the analytics or anything along those lines. I'm I'm okay with it if it happens once in a while. Um, but the, the the thing of it is is that let's say you hold you only use Dominguez for one inning yesterday, right? Let's just say, for example. So what you probably have happened tonight is you they get, who they went to they went to Edgar Garcia first, right? So Correct. Garcia comes out pitches that seventh inning, right? And then you probably can go to Nicasio in the eighth, and then in the ninth inning, now what you have is you have Dominguez, but when you get to Hayward, if or if you get to Hayward, you still have Alvarez as an option. Yeah, to come I mean, out of the pen, you have a left-handed reliever as an option in that spot. Now I know Hayward; they walked him to get to to get to Baez. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's a different. It's like you have multiple options, and all it would have taken, it would you still wouldn't have had three guys, which befuddles me a little bit, especially with Nishek. But at the very least, if you hold back Dominguez for to one inning yesterday, you have an extra guy. And a, and a couple more options for that ninth inning that you just didn't give that you didn't grant yourself. Yeah, so. I think that's more than a fair assessment of the situation. It's it's interesting. So I sent out a tweet uh, right after uh, right after the loss tonight, and I said a lot of bullpen sucks talk out there right now. They're missing Hunter and Robertson. They're down a few more guys tonight. They entered the day with the third best bullpen ERA in the NL. Like I don't. I think that there's this idea that this is a terrible bullpen. And, and I know that a lot of people, at least on my timeline, they say Matt Klintak has failed to build a, a really good bullpen since he's been here. And I get that because they don't have what I would call a really good bullpen. Like when the Phillies get to the seventh inning, it's a lot of mix and matching. And more often than not, they have performed. I mean, when they've led going into the ninth inning, they are 26 and one. So like they're not having these ninth inning meltdowns like they had tonight on a consistent basis. But some of these blown leads have come in the 6th, 7th, 8th innings, and I understand that. But they have not been a train wreck, especially when you consider what they've had to deal with. And I know that every team has injuries. Every team has to deal with some unexpected sets of circumstances. But when you look at the fact that they go out and they sign Tommy Hunter to, you know, two off-seasons ago, he's been completely unavailable this year. David Robertson, a guy that doesn't historically get injured, is supposed to be a key cog in the back end of this thing. He's been unavailable now for a lengthy period of time. I just I think that this bullpen actually, in terms of the personnel, has performed admirably. So I think it's a functional bullpen. I think that the ERA maybe masks a little bit of, of what they are. I think that maybe that's a, a little bit of a favorable or a rosy outlook about what this bullpen is. The problem with this bullpen, though, is that there's not one guy that you say, he's in the game I know what the outcome of this inning is going to be. And that includes Adam Morgan, who's been outstanding this season. I, I would concede that, and he looks like he's really turned a corner, but I need to see more of that too. I still don't go, well, Adam Morgan's in the game. It's game, you know, lights out. So I think that two things can be true here. The Phillies' bullpen doesn't suck. It has some pretty functional pieces but I do think that even if Robertson comes back, and I don't know what's going to happen there, and I don't know what's going to happen with Tommy Hunter either, but I, I still think the Phillies are going to have to go out and make a move. Now, I don't 
want to talk about Craig Kimbrell for the next 20 minutes, but Howard Eskin did tweet this morning, early this morning after uh, after their big win last night, that the Phillies would be, quote, in the mix to add Craig Kimbrell after June 1st because it would, it would spare them having to forfeit a draft pick. Um, let's revisit the Craig Kimbrell thing, I guess, briefly. Are you kind of on the... It's got to be Craig Kimbrell. It's got to be somebody with a big name, big arm, high strikeout, you know, a guy that has some pedigree. Or would you be more open to uh, maybe some lesser known options? I don't think it has to be Craig Kimbrell. As a matter of fact, I'm not a huge fan of Craig Kimbrell. I I didn't like where he was at the end of last year. His postseason really scary that much? Yeah, it did. It really did. And and then more so because it tells me that. I don't necessarily think it means that he's on the decline overall as a pitcher, but I think it shows you that he's a guy that once you start leaning on him too much, like if he has too much work, this is him. I'm going to. Def- I'm going to. This is kind of me now going the other way yeah, and yeah. <laughs> siding with the Kapler philosophy. But if he works too much, um, he, he starts to lose his effectiveness. Uh, so that's that's what I worry about a little bit there. So no, I'm not on the Craig Kimbrell bandwagon. I to me. And I think this yeah, is kind of had, interesting. And, and he had 63 appearances last season. And, yeah, uh, yeah. For those yeah. Of that, that don't know, he allowed seven earned runs in 10 and two-thirds innings in the postseason last year. Yeah. Um, so th- to me, the interesting thing um, as far as, uh, you know, the, the trade deadline this year is, you know, there is no August – there is no waiver trade, de- trade deadline anymore. Everything is July 31st. So I think you're going to start to see some deals happen a little bit sooner than they usually do. Um, and I think that's an important thing to, to identify. And I, you know, if you're the Phillies, do you, when do you start making the moves? You don't. You can't necessarily wait till the end of July to do it. Like you may have to start, you know, jumping on this train in June because after July 31st, you can't add anybody. And I will tell you that they need help. And I mean, you agree, and we all agree, they need help in the bullpen. And I know that so you, you, you want to throw that ERA number out. And you're right. It, it is third in the National League or whatever. But y- you know as well as I do that ERA is a little bit deceiving, right? So where do they rank as far as WHIP, for example? Well, they're 11th, okay, at 1.35. Is that in all of baseball or in the NL? N- N- NL. Okay. 11 out of 15. Uh the Miami Marlins are 1.36. <laughs> just just by comparison. I read an article um, on Fangraphs about the Marlins the other day, by the way, and they did 10,000 different simulations of the Miami Marlins season, and there were outcomes, I believe multiple outcomes, of the 10,000 simulations in which the Marlins win 39 games this year. Yeah, they're terrible. Um, so, yeah, so the so their, their whip is 1.35. A little bit below average. Yeah, they're still top ten, I believe. Oh no, actually, they're uh, that's in the NL. Yeah, so they're actually like right in the middle of the road in NL in terms of WAR. Um, yeah, yeah. I so, mean, yeah, they're 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 fine. Like they're just an average group. Uh, I I just think that sometimes the ire gets misplaced. You know, I just think that this is the situation. Is the bullpen perfect? No. Does it need to be rectified? Absolutely. But like, there's time to do that. Like most teams are not a finished product on May twenty first, and so people no, you're right. get so angry. Like yep. it's Matt Clentac's failure. This team sucks. Well, this guy's got to go. Like Juan Casio <laughs> doesn't need to be designated for assignment after tonight's game. No, not at all. 
Not at all. I'm not going out and buying his jersey or I just anything, want, I, but like, it's just, it's crazy how people, it's like every, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a snob for a second. I'm going to be that guy. It's <laughs> like everyone forgot about baseball in this city for a prolonged period of time, and now that the Phillies are relevant again and the Sixers are over, there's more eyeballs on them, and everybody's bringing that like Sixers playoff mentality where you have to overreact to every possession, and like, it's almost like how people watch the Eagles. Like, you forget that they won four straight games. You forget that they're in first place. You forget that they have a lot of truly talented players on this team. And and you watch one game, and it's like, screw them all. And I just feel like people got to... Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. For, you know, like, yeah, bring, you're not bring wrong. Bring back a little bit. Step that's off the, the ledge. It's the Twitter generation, man. I guess By it's, the way, t- 2018 me would be kicking 2019 me's ass right now for saying the, that. And you, let me say this. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll play 2018 you just for a second. You know, I just, I just like looking at deeper into it statistically. The Phillies are 13th in the National League in OPS against the bullpen. Team's OPS against the Phillies is 752. The only teams worse are the, are the Nationals and the Rockies. That, that bullpen is not good enough. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, it, I, I'll, I'll side with you and say that they're average because yeah, it's, well, only, so because it's you, only May 21st. And I'll yeah. Say, yeah. But if that number is still 752 a month from now, that's bad. Well, you know what's funny about that? As soon as you said that number, I said, okay, so then let's talk about how many guys they've left on base. And so they're the second-best team in the National League in terms of leaving guys on base. They've stranded 76.2% of runners on base. And, you know, is that a luck thing? I think that you can partly attribute that some of that to luck. But th- there is a little bit to be said about skill there as well. Like These guys have danced themselves out of trouble, seeing as that they've given up a lot of extra base hits based on the number that you just gave. And certainly they're, they're letting a lot of men on base. Uh, but they have been able, for the most part, uh, you know, tonight aside, to dance out of trouble when they've gotten into it. They've been, they've been better than everybody but the Reds so far in the National League at doing that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do think that, that overall you sort of see what the, the full picture of this bullpen is. It's been fine. It needs to get better if they're going to well, let me ask wrong. you let me let me throw it this let me throw it to you this way. Is this bullpen a bullpen that you feel would feel comfortable with going into the September? No. Right. No. So that's what, so that's why the that, why, yeah. that's why it needs to be improved. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think even if David Robertson and like please don't mistake what I'm saying here. Even if David Robertson comes back, I'm not telling you that his return alone will cure what ails them. I think that his return would be a helps. big boost, yeah, but I do think that at that point you still are a piece away. A guy that, whether he's a true closer or not, a guy that when you run him out there, you say, like, we feel very good about our chances in this particular inning whenever it is that you decide to use him. So, well, here's 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 where I do a little bit side with the fans who want to blame the general manager. Um, just a little bit. And we've had this discussion before, so it's not like I'm saying anything brand new here. But the offseason, with the exception of David Robertson, was purely about fixing the lineup. Purely fixing the lineup. There was no other. They didn't make a change in the rotation to start the season. They didn't make a change in the bullpen other than David Robertson. I mean, yeah, a couple arbitrary pieces like Nicasio um, uh, and who else am I forget? There was somebody else that they kind of brought in this year. Uh, yeah, Pazos. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but he didn't even make the team. Uh, I thought there was somebody who also started the year with the team that uh, that wasn't on the team last year. Anyway, regardless, they it was they were they were you know just small moves in the bullpen. So they really left the pitching staff the same as it was a year ago, and it's the same pitching staff for the most part 
that collapsed in the second half of last last season. So you you needed to identify that that was the case. Now you sit there and say, well, you know, we know that we have some metrics that show that these guys are going to do better. And look at Adam Morgan right now. And I am not going to criticize Adam Morgan. He's been great. But we've also seen Adam Morgan not be great. So, you know, there's always in the back of your mind, you know, you say, well, let's hope he can keep this up. Let's hope this, this Adam Morgan sustains for the season. But we've seen the Adam Morgan that does not pitch well. And at any time, you know, we have bullpens are fickle, man. At any time, that could go, that could go in the opposite direction. So, I mean, for as good as as good as some of these guys are performing, you gotta you gotta cross your fingers and hope. Yeah, with, but at with the same bullpens. time, and I'll just I'll argue this. I'll just say that you can't you can't do it all. When you do what the Phillies did this offseason, and I don't just mean in terms of dollars spent, but the it, different ways in which they went and improved and patched holes. And, and did make their defense better, though it's still, you know, an average defense at best. They so substantially improved the talent in this everyday lineup that I look at it and I say, okay, if you use the middle of this season to continue to tweak and improve, I'm okay with that. Like, the Phillies have a plus 30 run differential. That's by far the best in the National League East. I believe coming in, it's like the third or fourth best. Yeah, they're, they're behind the Cubs the Dodgers, as we stand right now in the National League. Like, they're eight games over five hundred. They are in first place. If if they make adjustments moving forward, then I won't, I won't kill Matt Klintak for maybe not doing a little bit more in the bullpen over the winter. You know, like, that's, that's where I want to see Matt Klintak. Like, let me see what you got. Because one thing that I will criticize him for is last season he didn't go out and make the big-time acquisition, right? Like, they were interested in Manny Machado, but they didn't do it. They fell a little bit short. He says they were aggressive. It didn't happen. Fine. And in, in hindsight, Manny Machado probably would not have saved that team. So maybe, if anything, you might even applaud him for not going out and getting Manny Machado. But I will say this. The guys that he brought in, the Asdrubal Cabreras of the world, they did not pay off. Those reinforcements did not save that team. And if if nothing else, and I'm certainly not going to blame the guys that they brought in for what happened down the stretch, but most of them underperformed. And whatever, like, I don't know, swag or chemistry that that team had and played with over the first four, four and a half months of the season – seemed to completely evaporate after those additions were made. It was a really strange dynamic. So what I need to see from Matt Klintak this time around is those fringe players, those guys that may not be the headliners if, say, they don't go out and get a Craig Kimbrell, you've got to make you've got to make impactful acquisitions this time around. And that is where I'm concerned about this team's ability to maybe improve itself once we get into July. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, I think that the targets this time around have to be bigger. There has to be bigger targets than what they did last year. I, like last year, they – and again, I, I think that this was in the end probably the right – with the way they handled it was probably the right way um, because, yeah, would we have loved to have this you know competitive team a year earlier than this year? Yeah, it would have been cool, you know, to ha- not have them collapse and have them, you know, in in the thick of it in September, even if they didn't get in the playoffs. Um, and it didn't work out. But the 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 smart move was, all right, we'll add these veteran players, but it, they are all low risk, high reward, and that's what they were. They were all low risk, high reward, 
And with the exception of when Wilson Ramos was in the lineup when he wasn't injured, none of them really worked out. They were, but they didn't cost you anything, right? I mean, what did they cost sure. you? Sure. Yeah. Right. So um, very little. Right. So it, it, that that's fine. So uh, so you got kind of go okay. This year you can't go all low risk high reward. You could do one, one guy like that or two guys like that, whatever. But you have to you have to go get what you need. And if you feel like you need a hammer at the back of the bullpen, then you got to go get a hammer at the back of the bullpen. And it doesn't have to be Craig Kimbrell. It could be somebody that's on a team that's going to you know fade out of the out of contention and say, oh, we're going to put our big arm at the back of our bullpen up for yeah. So the only trade. thing that I'll say about that, and you know that I'm not in love with Craig Kimbrell either. You're still talking about a guy though that you know, struck out I think 13.9 batters per nine innings last year, mm-hmm. still well under a three ERA for most of the season, still ultra productive. The key here, and I think that this is going to be one roadblock that the Phillies are working with, they don't have a ton of trade capital in terms of minor league talent. Now, could they get weird and really say, like, we trust Michael Franco and we think that Odubel Herrera, who I know that we're going to talk about in a little bit, like, we'll get back to him. But, like, do they trust either Michael Franco or Odubel Herrera enough where they'll continue to roll with them for the remainder of the season, plug Scott Kingery in on the other end? You know, that seems to be what's going to happen. Kingery's going to bounce back and forth between center and, and third base. Do you do you think about the possibility of trading red hot hitting Cesar Hernandez right now? Because at the major league level, he's probably the only piece that they could even consider dealing. But I'm not interested in removing a guy that's hitting well north of 300 over the last month and a half on a team that has a, a third baseman that hasn't homered in 21 games and a center fielder that looks completely lost right now. So you're not trading from your major league roster unless you know someone really likes Nick Pavetta or really likes a Zach Eflin and, and you're willing to part with a player like that in the back end of your rotation for something in return. But in the minor leagues, like what what's the move that's going to net that front-line guy? And that's my only concern there, and that's why I say, well, maybe he will need to be more creative than we than we think. Well, I I don't know. And like I, I'll throw here. I'm going to throw a name at you, just just to throw a name at you. Okay, um, here's a guy that is going to be a free agent at the end of the year, 30 years old on a bad team, but has is having a great season so far, um, and has had uh, you know he didn't have a great 2018, but had a pretty good 2017, um, and uh, that would be Detroit's current closer. Um, Shane Green. Shane, Shane Green so far has got 15 saves. Um, he has got a 1.42 ERA, a 0.78 WHIP, uh, um, which is really good. Striking out 11 batters per per nine innings. What do you think Shane Green costs you? Yeah, well, I think that that's the 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 question, right? I mean, because if if he continues to pitch that well, and the market doesn't. If the market goes a certain way, Shane Green may cost you a lot more than than we would suspect. I don't see. I don't see. I don't think so. I I think that a guy who's that old, who's a free agent at the end of the year, probably gives costs you a you know marginal, maybe at best middle of the pack kind of prospect. That's fair, but it just becomes so. Who are the more household names or the frontline guys, top tier guys that are going to be available ahead of him? Because at the end of the day, and you know this, it is about the market. So if there are three or four guys in the mix that jump out ahead of Shane Green, 
then sure. You know, but I get what you're, you're saying. You're not going to sell the farm for Shane Green regardless of the situation. But, like, I, I don't know, right? Like, it just depends what the market bears. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I, I hear you on that. I think it will all depend. You're right. It will all depend on, you know, who becomes available when. Um, He's you know, a free I think- agent after the 2020 season. Who? Yeah, uh, Shane Green. I think it's this. No, he signed through this year. He's yeah. ar- he's he's arbitration, arbitration eligible, eligible next year. Yeah, 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 so, he's ar- yeah. yeah. So I mean, maybe a little bit more than you'd suspect. Eh, but. He's thirty. <laughs> he's thirty. He's thirty years old. I don't know. I I can't see. At the same time, would you like? Okay, so let's look at it this way: If the Phillies go out and Shane Green is the guy that they attach at the end of this bullpen, are you like, let's go October, Red October, baby? We got Shane Green. <laughs> Good luck in the ninth, bitches. You know, like. no, but it, uh, no, you're right. It, I, yeah, I'm not. So. I, but then again, there aren't many names like you know. Right now, there aren't many names out there, and that's why everybody's glomming on to Craig Kimbrell. Yeah. Oh, we need Craig Kimbrell because he's out there. Yeah. Everyone was feeling bad for Craig Kimbrell. Like I can't believe no team signed him. Like Craig Kimbrell's going to be just fine. Yeah. Just yeah, fine. I, I, I don't know. I don't. I, I, I think it will. De- a lot will depend what, when we see where teams are a month from now, because there are teams that are just kind of like hanging in, this, you know, um, standings wise for now, and they might be like hovering right around five hundred or just below five hundred. Um, and you say, oh well, they'll they'll be fine. Well, maybe they won't. You know, um, I, I bet you. Not to say that this is a guy that the Phillies should go after, but I'm pretty certain that Ken Giles will be made available via trade this year. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> what could what could possibly go wrong there? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, there's another name that I really like that I kind of heard a little bit of rumor about is, is that kid out in uh, with the Angels. Ty Butchery's actually had a nice uh, little little run for them over the last. You know, but who knows? I mean, the Angels are they're 22 and 25. Like that's a very Angels I, record. If you said like, yeah. what's the Angels record after 47 games? I would say yeah, 22 and 25. <laughs> like that's very on brand for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I got a, I got a question for you. Let's hmm. switch, let's switch gears here a little bit. Yeah, let's switch. Last May twenty first, May twenty first, two thousand eighteen. Any mm-hmm. idea what Odubel Herrera's batting average was on this what, date a year ago? I, I think wasn't this when this the the whole decline started? It was like literally the day, like okay. the last day of Odubel Herrera's goodness. <laughs> so I was to be waiting over, to write this article. I wrote he had it to be over three hundred, right? Oh yes, oh yes. It was like three thirty something. Three forty eight. Yeah. With a nine fifty six OPS. I remember doing this show right around this time last year, saying to you, dude, this guy is a slam dunk all star, and he is in the early conversation for National League MVP. Yep. And then over the next two hundred at bats before the All Star break or two hundred plate appearances. He hit only 216, so he did not make the all-star team, as you know. Only Aaron Nola did a, a season ago for the Phillies. And he, he actually rebounded a little bit in July, hit over 300 in the month of July. And then in August and September, he, like a lot of other Phillies uh, last season, was just simply terrible. Um, and I point that out because he's obviously gotten off to a very slow start. He came up with an opportunity to uh, tie the game tonight or give the Phillies a lead pinch hit opportunity late. It was right before McCutcheon hit the two-run single. And he hit a ball pretty hard. It was a 99-mile-an-hour exit velocity, but it was right back to the box. And he did not drive in the run on the first pitch. And I'm sure that pissed off a lot of people. 
you know that I love Odubel Herrera and that I have been the guy to defend him. I'm the first one to say, you know, hey, look at that, that hard hat lunch pail play by Odubel Herrera. Or, you know, people don't understand the fact that he's a, an extra base hit machine. He's cost effective. He's a really good player. He's only 27 years old. Like Those are all the things I say about Odubel Herrera. But I must say now, he's played, after tonight, 34 games. He's hitting under 225. If you go back over the last season, since last May 21st, he's hitting under 220. Is it time for the Phillies to kind of kill the Odubel Herrera experiment? So here's what I'm going to say. I, I don't think it's time to kill it. But I, I have zero problem shelving it, if that makes sense. And I, what I mean by that is, look, you don't have time to fool around when you're trying to win the division, when you're trying to make the playoffs. You don't have time to let guys get out of their slumps and, you know, oh, I'll give you another 100, 150 at-bats. It could hurt the team. But you, you've seen enough from the guy to say, we know that there's more there. And and he signed to a contract, and it's not a terrible contract. I mean, it's movable. I mean, certainly if it if if somebody else wants to take a chance on Odubel Herrera, and they'll get willing to give you something that will improve your team, then yeah, you should certainly consider trading it. But if not, it's not a bad contract to be saddled with. And you know what? He would improve the friggin' bench. <laughs> which stinks. Um, There's your left-handed bat. Yeah. I, you know, I don't mind having keeping – if, if at this point he does have to come out of the regular lineup, I think, um, unless he shows you something to earn his way back. Um, I, I'm not certain that Scott Kingery is the long-term center field answer. I, I don't think he is. Um, Gabe Kapler says that no matter where you put Scott Kingery, he has the ability to play plus defense for you. I like Scott Kingery. I yeah. do not believe that Scott Kingery is an everyday major league center fielder. I just don't. No, no I don't either. But um, So that's a that's another conundrum that you, that you have. So that's another reason why I wouldn't bail on Odubel. Um, but I can, I can certainly, you know, get, get on the train and say, hey, you know, we've had a, a solid year where this guy just has not performed. We can't rely on him right now to be an everyday guy because we are trying to win. We're trying to win the division. So he has to take an, a different role. That doesn't mean that he can't. I mean, there have been guys in the past who've, you know, I, I think of the year that um, the Cubs won the World Series where Hayward was terrible, absolutely terrible, and they actually benched him. He became a guy off the bench for them and a defensive replacement then went back to being a starter the very next season and was, was a little bit better. Well, I mean, he never got back to what he was prior to the World Series uh, with Chicago, but, I mean, you know, he became an everyday player again. Um, it happens, you know. The year the Phillies won the World Series, Brett Myers was sent down to the minor leagues because he was terrible, and he came back into the rotation, and then you know was 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 part of the team again. So yeah, um, and, and it's like I I look at Odubel Herrera and I say he's had 112 plate appearances this season. That's not a lot, and if it were just those 112 plate appearances, I'd say you have to give him more time. There's just too much talent there. But when really. Yeah. You go back, you're looking at over 530-plus plate appearances dating back to last May 21st. He's produced a 271 on base percentage. 271. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, it's crazy. And so I went a little bit deeper, and I started to look around, and I'm like, well, what's, 
what's really different, and I, I guess let me give it to you this way. He's been consistently bad since the end of last season as well. You ready for this? August of 2018, a 576 OPS. September of 2018, a 480 OPS. March and April of this year, he was at 700, which is like functionally okay. And then this month, coming into tonight's game, a 558 OPS. That's three out of four months where he didn't even sniff a 600 OPS. Like yeah. that's that's horrendous. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk September up to apathy because nobody was good in September last year, right? I mean, and, and that's not that's not a, a justification for it, but you're not you're gonna be hard pressed to find really anybody in that on that team that had good numbers for September. True. That said, I mean, they did enter that month with playoff aspirations. That thing really didn't spiral completely out of control. Until like the second week of September, I, I just saying like I'm, yeah. I I get what you're saying, and I yeah. do think that you you could say there was a snowball effect going on there, no doubt. But yeah. like at the same time, you know, yeah, you're up no, there. no. So, but no, but no, but I I don't think you're wrong. I think that what you're seeing this you know August last last year that's bad because the team was still still well still doing well at that point, and he was not contributing. And the start of this season, uh, or this month, May, uh, is not good because this is a this is a first place team. You cannot be that poor of a performer as an everyday player on a first place team. It's not going to help the team stay there. Yeah, notice. Like, I'm I'm just talking about strictly numbers. Like I'm not talking about the oh he's a knucklehead or that he takes plays off or that he's lazy. I don't I don't subscribe to that. I actually think that Odubel Herrera is is fine, mostly fine when it comes to stuff like that. I actually think that his teammates like him. He seems to have a lot of fun. They seem to respond well to him for the most part. I'm sure that you know there have been occasions where certain guys have taken exception with some of his def- defensive plays or base running lapses, whatever. But I think by and large that they like Odubel Herrera. Like I don't view him as a cancerous player. Um, and, and so it has nothing to do with all of that other stuff that, that certain people want to get caught up with. I look at it from a production standpoint, and that's why I've always defended him because the production has been there. The numbers have been there, but now they're not. And the only other thing I want to say about this real quick, I, just taking a look, I'm like, what? what is really – what's the difference here? And, like, his, for his career, he was a 689 or he is a 689 OPS against changeups. He's got a 369 OPS against changeups this season. 772 OPS against four-seam fastballs, down to 644. Like, he's not actually striking out at any really of a higher rate, and he's not even taking less walks, but he is making less contact, and his contact is all pool contact. It's like 10% higher than his career norm. What his pool contact is this season to his career norms. To me, it's a guy that is guessing, that doesn't trust himself at all. It's, it's indicative of a hitter that is trying to yank everything and just doesn't trust himself whatsoever. And I don't know if he can find that. I don't know if the Phillies have the ability to let him find that. But I would suspect that we're starting to run out of room for him to figure this out. Yeah. No, I I don't disagree with you. Again, like I said, I, I, I don't disagree with the fact that the time is, is has come to say, oh, Double, you're you're not the go-to guy out there. You're, you know, do you think? I don't necessarily even think it has to be a slow progression to part-time status. But I, I'm not ready to bail on the guy completely, one hundred percent. That's fair. And that, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I just, I just think that there's enough still there, and a, and it's not killing you con- contractually 
to have him on the team and keep him around and and see if it comes back, see if he finds it. Hey, maybe he maybe what Odubel Herrera ultimately is is a solid fourth outfielder. Would, guy you be, would you be, and I mean, obviously, if the Phillies win a World Series or two and he's a, a player on those teams, you'd view this one way, but I find that to be a little bit disappointing right now. You know, because not that I ever thought that Odubel Herrera, well, maybe I did for the first six weeks of the 2018 season, but I never thought necessarily the guy would be an MVP player. But I did think that he had multiple all-stars in his, in his future. I, I thought he was or did have that type of potential. So I would be a little bit disappointed, but obviously if he becomes a fourth outfielder on a two-time World Series winner, then then that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, I, yeah. Uh, right. Interesting at bat in the in the seventh inning tonight. I, I just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on this. Uh, Mike Alfranco, who uh, has just been really bad. I mean, the first month of the season, he was as good as anybody, you know, especially out of the eight hole. What he was doing for this team was was nothing short of remarkable, honestly. And a really welcome surprise because this is a guy, another guy that's had a, a ton of talent and, and really hasn't been able to put it together. And it looked like maybe this year would be a little bit different. And really now for the last three, three, four weeks, the last 21 games, Mike Alfranco has come crashing back to earth. He's hitting under 200. I believe he only has five extra base hits, including tonight's double, no home runs, um, and he looks lost all over again. Um, for the season, he's hitting only 229 now, and obviously that's a little bit disappointing when you consider the start that he got off to. Uh, he came up in the seventh inning tonight with a runner on first base, and he had a 3-0 count, and Gabe Kapler gave him a green light, and I, I kind of I perked up when I saw it. I said, really? You know, here's a guy that has just been has been awful, and Gabe Kapler showing Mike Alfranco a little confidence with the three zero green light, and he he swings and misses at it, and I go, Jesus Christ, like what what are we doing? Next pitch though, Franco rips a double to left field, and it was one of the few balls over the last few weeks that he squared up, and I said, you know what, man, like I I guess you have to give Gabe a little bit of credit in that scenario. He showed some belief or some extent of belief in a guy that had really been slumping and he 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 got the job done. And so we're going to talk a little bit about obviously the bullpen and that's going to be our focus tomorrow and over the next couple of days with Gabe Kapler. But I thought that was a or will certainly be an overlooked moment from tonight's game. I think that you earlier in this show had talked about feel and Gabe's using feel a little bit more this season. Thought that was a feel moment. It was, and look, I, I don't, I appreciate those because I know I've I've mentioned this before. I appreciate those um, because I think more often than not, they'll they'll end up being beneficial. And I and I look at it and I say, okay, Franco got a big hit in the game Monday night in the ninth inning that set up the uh, the tying run, um, and then he gets the big hit again tonight. Um, that sets up the go the go ahead run uh, when he gets the double uh, to left center, and you sit there and say, you know, yeah, the guy's been struggling and he's not been very good, but when the manager gives him the green light there, even though it doesn't pan out, you know, the next time Mike Calfranco goes up to the plate, he's going to sit there and say, you know, the manager's got confidence in me that I can come through in these key spots, and what does he do? He hits the double. 
So like I like I kind of I'm kind of okay with it. Like no one expected Michael Franco to be what he was in April, but he's also a little bit better than what he's been so far in May. Um, just like you said, 112 plate appearances is not, is not a lot. Whatever it is in May for Michael Franco, it's three weeks worth of games. So he's probably somewhere in the middle of what he was doing in April and what he's been doing in May. Um, so I, I'm I'm good with it. I'm okay with it, and I'm okay with continuing to get trot him out there on a you know pretty regular basis. So as, what you're doing with Scott Kinger then is he's he's playing center field more often than not for this team. Yeah, right now. for now. I mean, again, I don't think that long term that's the answer. I mean, maybe you, maybe you move McCutcheon to center and and you put Kingery in left. I don't know. Um, uh, whatever. I mean, I, I yeah, he could play a couple games there at third base. I mean, I'm not sitting there saying Franco has to play every game at third base. You know, maybe Kingery gets two starts a week at third base or one one a week at third and two or three in the outfield or whatever. However, you want to split it up. Um, but I think I'll tell you what. Franco's played a pretty darn good defensive third base this year, um, overall, and yeah, I believe they said on the uh, ESPN broadcast tonight that he entered tonight's game with the highest fielding percentage among all third basemen. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean, he almost made a tremendous play um, on the Cubs. Was it the, in the eighth inning when out? I think it was when Alvarez got out of the jam. Is it the leadoff? Uh, leadoff base at the left field. No, well, no, he made a play. He made a diving stop. It was an infield uh, okay. hit. Yeah, yeah. And he made a diving stop and then threw from his knees but couldn't get the guy out at at, at uh, first. But, I mean, it was just a, it was a great play. I mean, he's made a lot of those. He's made a lot of really good plays in the infield. So, again, I'm not, I'm not ready to – I give him a little bit more rope because he's shown here and there the ability to, you know, to kind of get over the hump a little bit. I tell yes. you that defensive run save metric, man. It just <laughs> it it doesn't like Mike Alfranco. It really doesn't. It doesn't like most Phillies defenders. Negative two defensive run saved. Yeah. So he's a uh, fifteenth in, in Major League Baseball despite having the highest fielding percentage. So yeah. how about that? All right. Well, uh, I don't know. What else you have? We we've definitely crossed our midnight threshold, uh per <laughs> usual, which We're is nice well, for me. Well passed. We didn't even talk about we didn't even talk about the 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 Real, Real Muto having a great couple games, the pinch hit two run homer on Sunday, and then the wa- and then the uh, go ahead homer on Monday. Um, he's been really good. <laughs> he's yeah. been really really good. Um, and, you know, McCutcheon gets the clutch hit tonight. Segura had a clutch hit in that game on Monday. Um, so there's been a lot of good po- a lot of positives. I'll tell you a guy who's just not finding it right now is Reese Hoskins. Yeah, I, he's he's gotten back into, and he had a funk like this last year too, Bob. If you remember, he's gotten into this thing where he he over swings to pull for home runs. I, he's got that. He's, he's got you know we talk we talked about launch angles, but he's got a severe uppercut right now, and everything he's trying to just yank it to deep left field. He needs he needs to get back to trying to go to the middle of the field just to get his swing plane back. And then if he happens to pull balls to left field, great. But, um, yeah, he's a little off right now, and that's that's not the greatest news for the Phillies. Yeah, I'm actually curious to see what he's got. Uh, yeah, he, he's hitting he's hitting 215 in May, uh, entering tonight, and that would include three home runs. So, uh, yeah, I mean, not, not great. 
He's seven seven sixteen OPS before tonight's game. And he didn't have a very good game this evening. If I'm not mistaken, he was 0 for 2. I think he did walk twice, I think. Uh, and, and Bryce Harper, you know, had a really nice weekend as well. And then he's kind of cooled off here at Wrigley. I, I got to say, and I don't think that we've been negative on this show. I, I, I don't, especially considering the type of loss that this team had tonight. I think this is a good team. I, I feel very good about where they're at. I always like to kind of to do a little like NL East talk at the end of this thing. I will say that uh, I, I will continue to reiterate my stance on the Nationals. The Nationals stink. That is a terrible team. Like they they should cancel the season. That's where they're at. The <laughs> Mets are an absolute disaster. Robinson Cano doesn't even know when he needs to run out of ground ball. Uh, and uh, you saw that story too, right? Where if they yes. go after his, if they go after uh, Cespedes's signing bonus that it's actually because the current GM is the one that negotiated Cespedes' deal that it would take away money from him. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Like, that is the most Mets thing of all time. They did win tonight. They beat the Nationals late because the Nationals' bullpen blew two different leads. Uh, I'm working my way up to that one team, the Atlanta Braves. They're all, like, 20 years old, and they are kicking ass right now. So... As good as things have gone for the Phillies, you see a loss like tonight, and then you look up at the scoreboard and you go, oh, look, there you go, Braves Braves are doing what? Up, oh, they're winning again. You know, they're they're not going to go away. No. The, the Braves the Braves are legit. The Braves are legit. The Braves right now, their weakness is the Phillies' weakness. And, and, and it's, an, it's going to be a race to see who can, you know, fix – the pitching staffs, uh, and I mean that both starters and bullpen. I think the I think the the Phillies probably right now have an edge uh, edge in the bullpen, which is which is unbelievable to say. And I think that the Braves, even though the Phillies numbers might be a little bit better, I think the Braves have more pitching talent in the rotation. Oh, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah, I mean the Soroka um, guy has been excellent. My, yeah, Soroka is really good. Um, uh, you know, like so Josh I, Donaldson, dude. Josh Donaldson's on base percentage right now is three eighty six. Yeah, yeah, like, they're legit. The Braves are the Braves are the Braves are going to be the Phillies' thorn this this year. I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but it that's why that's why we keep saying like this stretch of games is so important because the Braves don't have the, the schedule that the Phillies have yeah. over the next couple of weeks, but, and if if the Phillies kind of stumble a bit here and then the Braves pass them and now all of a sudden we're you know the Phillies are chasing that team as opposed to just trying to keep pace or hold off with them it, it's a whole different feeling and a whole different mentality that you have to take into into games you become more of a grinder type type of team um, and I'm not certain that that befits this group just yet it, maybe it does but I'm not certain of that yeah and you, you want to see what type of resiliency the Phillies have it's a tall order tomorrow night for Cole Irvin, who will face Cole Hamels. That should be a fun game, but uh, I, I don't love after the way that tonight went down. Now you're going to go to Cole Irvin making his, his third major league start. This is this is a little different, you know. So we'll see. The Phillies, what they can ill afford to have happen here is is taking what should have been a two and zero start to this road trip. It not happening, and then it turned into a two and five road trip. Like that, that would be an absolute disaster if that's how this is, you know, goes. And there is the potential for that with with Milwaukee looming. You saw what they did at Citizens Bank Park last week. I I don't think it's going that way. I think that the Phillies have 
Uh, it's just a different team. You, you look at the type of players that they have. They have a lot of veteran-type players. I don't suspect that that's going to happen, but this is a huge week for the Phillies, and how they rebound will be key. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is an important stretch. An important stretch. Like I was, you know, it was funny, Bob. I was um, I was actually looking at this just before the Colorado series, and I thought, uh, and I, and I, it could could still happen, but I doubt it. I doubt that the Phillies would collapse this much at this point. But um, at, right before the Colorado series, I was looking at it and saying, you know, the way this schedule breaks out, what if the Phillies are five hundred on June sixth or June seventh, whenever they finish that San Diego series, whatever that date is. What if they're a 500 team at that point? I don't think the locals will be real thrilled. What's, what's the reaction, right? And, and that's that, that was going to be my question for you. Then they went out and swept Colorado, yeah. and it's like, all right, well, they're not going to be 500. But what, what if they're two games over 500? I think people will be pretty underwhelmed. We'll say that this is an overhyped, overpriced team, and I think that some of the – I think that the Bryce Harper criticism at that point will really rev up because he'll be the poster boy for the underachieving, you know, the underachieving uh, team. You know, he he had a nice weekend here with the Rockies, but now he's come back and he's sort of back into this little tailspin. He's rolling over on a lot of stuff again, and I don't know, man. I think that uh, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. But if it does, that that most certainly be the reaction for sure. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's fair to say. Like I, I don't like the matchup tomorrow a little bit for the Phillies. Um, I, I just don't. I Phillies just said str- we were very yeah. positive on this podcast, and you're yeah, about no, to do no. the thing where. Well, you- here's the here's another thing. The Phillies struggle against left-handed pitchers, right? Yeah. I mean, they they, they that do. That was evident tonight. Yeah, and so they got two more coming up. I mean, Hamels and Lester. It's not like you're facing just you know you generic lefties. You're facing, you're not facing two of the Cole best. Irvin. <laughs> you're facing two of the best lefties in the game, and then you got to play the Brewers for three games, and the Brewers just basically came in and into Philly and bitch slapped you around. So I mean, it's possible that you know over the course of the next five games um, that you go one and four. And I don't want to make it sound terrible, but I mean, if you and on that it, note, Phil's fans, we'll catch you now, next week. Well, but if you do, now you're what twenty nine and twenty four. Okay. Then it's three with the Cardinals, three with the Dodgers, three with the Padres. I mean, it could get down to two or three games above 500. I, I don't know. I mean, are, are fans going to be pissed off at that point? Uh, y- yeah. I think they'll be disappointed. But I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll definitely see. Hey, one last thing. Yes. Did you see the Adam Eaton, Todd Frazier incident i i didn't oh my god so apparently this goes back to 2016 when they were teammates with the white Sox. so what happens is the other night the nationals and mets are playing and um i guess adam eaton grounds into a double play the end of an inning and he's getting ready to just kind of like walk He's not really walking off the field, but he's like, you know, walking over closer to his dugout, you know, taking off the gloves and the helmet, waiting for his teammates to come out and hand him his bat and glove or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's just kind of standing there for a second. And I guess Todd Frazier starts chirping him. And they just start having this shouting match, like just flipping out at each other. Like other players have to get between them and, and stuff like that, whatever. And then, you know, they talk, they try to interview them about it. Afterwards, Frazier takes the high road, doesn't say anything. 
Um, but Adam Eaton talks about, you know, oh, this goes back to, you know, something that happened when we were with the White Sox. Uh, Todd, you know, Todd Frazier is kind of a jerk, blah, blah, blah. Well, then Frazier comes out and talks today. <laughs> And says that Adam Eaton's just like this bad dude, and that everybody from that White Sox locker room will tell you the same thing. Blah blah. blah. And then the Athletic does a story uh, uh, earlier today with like the true story between the two of them, except that they don't really say what what happened between them, other than they had stalls right next to each other. And um, it just seems like from reading the story that Eaton was more of like a clubhouse lawyer. Like he got, a, he was like one of the people that was leading a revolt against the uh, White Sox when they wouldn't let Adam LaRoche let his kid um, be part uh, of the. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Story. Remember that yeah. whole thing, and then LaRoche retires, um, and so Eaton was trying to get the team to sit out a, a spring training game and protest, um, and then Chris Sale got suspended later in the same year for cutting up a uh, uh, a retro uniform. <laughs> Yeah. And so Eaton was like, you know, vocal about that as well. And I don't think Todd Frazier really liked the fact that this guy was just constantly getting involved in, in all these other issues and just basically told him to shut the hell up. And then Adam Eaton moved his locker. He didn't no longer wanted to be next to Todd Frazier and said it was because of a, a, a a vent with the air conditioning was too cold. was on it's, it was just like this whole thing. I'm like, Dude, you guys are multi-million dollar professional athletes. And this is what goes on? <laughs> just kids playing a game. Yeah. Just just a bunch of kids playing a game. That's all oh, it is. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So I, if you have an athletic subscription, I recommend you check it out. It's called The Athletic True Southside Story, Adam Eaton, Todd Frazier, and Memories of the 2016 White Sox, written by Dan Hayes, if you want to look it up by author, uh, if you have an athletic subscription. So check that out. Um, so, uh, hey, Bob, guess what else? We've got three. All right. Three. New Keep them five coming. star reviews. Keep them coming. Three new five star reviews. So if you don't know, uh, if you like the show, um, you can go on to iTunes and uh, give us a five star review. And uh, if you give us a five star review, you actually write a review for us. We will read it on the uh, on the program. So I have three to read tonight. Uh, first one goes back to uh, May 9th by Roy Munson, the kingpin. <laughs> Five stars, the real Phillies analysis. I am always refreshing my podcast list to make sure I don't miss a new episode of Crossed Up. Being a Phillies fan since I was born, literally, my parents took me as a six-month-old to the 83 pennant race. I grew up a fan of the 93 team and obviously loved the 08 team. I stumbled onto this pod last year, and I haven't looked elsewhere for in-depth analysis. Bob is my age and gets excited and disappointed like I do, but he backs it up with numbers. It's nice to listen to someone who is as big a fan as I am and comes from my generation. Anthony brings an old-school mentality. I can appreciate uh, the days of small ball long gone. <laughs> I appreciate how these guys will tell you the truth, even when the truth isn't what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. Thanks for all you guys. Thanks for all you do, guys. Keep uh, keep this up for many years. So that's Roy Munson. That's very nice, Roy Munson. Yes. May 10th, uh, Jigabone, uh, I think it is. Okay. Uh, five stars, class act. Been in Virginia for 15 years since departing as a PA native. I crave intellectual Philly sports conversation, and that's what Crossed Up and all the Crossing broad, Broadcast affiliates are. 
just knowledgeable dudes talking in collegial, humorous, knowledgeable conversation without being too much of a homer or afraid to press a sensitive issue, but also not too much of the negative contrarian to, to be contrarian vibe. Bottom line, these dudes know their Philly sports and baseball stuff. So that's Jigabone. Okay. Sends us that one. And go. then on Sunday, uh, just two days ago, we got this one from me, 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 and I. Great and I love the name. The names are my favorite thing. Great analysis. Anthony and Buck. <laughs> really, the highlight of my night. Uh, I can't make this shit up. Um, Great analysis. Anthony and Bob do a great job covering the Phillies. They give a very balanced analysis of the Phillies and what they see is going right for the team and what needs to be improved. So that was a quick one. Um, but that we got that one on Sunday. So thank you for those five-star reviews. Uh, keep them coming. And like I said, we will read them on the show. Very good. Thank uh, you, I everybody. You, I, yeah, I thank appreciate you. Yeah, and I, I was kind of like leaving that pregnant pause there because I was hoping that you would kind of take the next part, but then I forgot that you're sick, so... Oh, yes, uh, all the Crossing uh, Broad uh, <laughs> Network. What is this called? Yeah, the Podcast Network. We have European Soccer, uh, Crossing Broad FC. We have It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, Kevin Kincaid, uh, you know, doing a good job talking union. I know the union are having a good season. That's important. Uh, what else do we have? We have uh, Snow the Goalie, which comes, which comes back. We haven't done it in three weeks, but it's coming back uh, Thursday. We're recording it uh, Wednesday night for Thursday. Okay, very good. And then, of course, you have Crossing Broadcast, which is uh, covering all of the Philly sports. I believe it's the 5 for 5, uh, the only 5 for 5 Philly sports podcast. I believe that they even started covering Triton Baseball. Uh, Kevin told me that. that How'd that team do? Triton Baseball is on a roll right now. They're yeah. uh, they're 18 and 3, won a playoff game. They're they're kicking ass right now. <laughs> so, yeah. That's good. When's the next game? Uh, next game's on Thursday at 4 o'clock. You got Pinelands coming up. Making nice. a trip, uh, the one nine matchup in the in the second round of the Group Three New Jersey State playoffs. Yeah, good for good for you guys. Yeah, yeah, good season. Root, Trying to keep it going. You. Yeah, I appreciate it. Rooting for you. Yeah. Good. Well, I think I think you just hit them. Yeah, all. Yeah, we hit them all. All right. Yeah, I think that uh, there's nothing. Oh no, what about broadlines? Oh uh, yeah, broadlines. That's I think broadlines is kind of like a, a an idea right now that, that hasn't really been consistently executed, but it's coming. It's uh broad lines. Yeah. The podcast will be a gambling centric podcast, but it'll uh, also work in kind of sports narrative and, and stuff like that as well. Uh, I think that'll be an enjoyable listen for everyone. Once it, it kind of gets off the ground, you could probably expect that to begin. I, I would say the middle of June is, is the target date for that thing to really get rolling. As soon as gambling's uh, legal in Pennsylvania. Yep. Yeah, we go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, yeah, the union are in first place. I didn't even realize they were first place. Yeah, someone looked, told me that they were playing I well. I, I truly, I didn't know that myself. Yeah, so they're seven. They're seven, three, and three. That's awesome. So you know, ties are points. Rack up those ties, baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to remember to look at. I got to flip it right because soccer standings. They they don't they don't they put they put the ties between the wins and losses in their standings. For whatever reason, I don't know. They do it in Europe. They do it in MLS. It doesn't make any sense. So when you read it, you see seven, three, and three. But that's seven wins, three ties, three losses. So for the Union, it works. But like for example, I looked at like at the Montreal team and their, I'm sorry, I mean like the new the expansion team, FC Cincinnati. They're three, two, and eight. But that's two ties and eight losses. <laughs> like it, it doesn't sound right, right? It makes almost sounds like they're an above five hundred team, but they're not. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I got to remember your, to. That's your weekly soccer lesson on Crossed Up. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We got no more, no more soccer. Anyway, it's twelve thirty-four. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go blow my nose, take some allergy medication, and, and go uh, to bed. Yeah, go to bed. Yeah. Try right, again tomorrow. Good. All right, man. All right, good stuff as always. Thanks for tuning in to Crossed Up, and uh, we will catch you next week.